Welcome to The Family Room, sponsored by Versprite, where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families, centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, here on AM 1160 The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. I am Mari, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Craig and John. Hey, guys. Hey, Mari. We are excited today because we have got on the show a gentleman who is very familiar to audiences in in the Atlanta area here, um, where the Quest is at home. And uh, we've got Dr. Alan Hunt with us today. Um, And Alan has written, along with Matthew Kelly, a pair of books um, that feels very, it felt very um, relevant, relevant, and targeted. I felt very targeted by these books. <laughs> Glad you didn't say triggered. I was, I was well, waiting maybe, for that to come. Maybe right. that too. Targeted and triggered is a good point. Um, and it, it's basically it's it's dynamic Catholics resource on aging and dying. So, um, but it's called No Regrets, and it's about the fourth quarter of our lives. And um, I guess everybody's got that existential crisis, as as um, Craig liked to say that we all all of a sudden go, oh my gosh, how old am I now? And how much time do I have left in my life? And what have I done with my life? Mm-hmm. And what do I still need to do with my life? And ironically enough, as I was reading the book, first of all, the woman in the book, in the fable is exactly my age. So I did uh, accuse Alan of doing it after <laughs> targeting. me, targeting me, right? <laughs> but what was funny is that some of the questions that she had and some of the things she was thinking about, I already have started thinking about it. So it's wonderful to have a resource where... Um, Dynamic Catholic has put together a book and a workbook that goes together that really helps me answer some questions and think through some responses to some questions and um, just make that that ease into the aging process a little bit more purposeful and and, uh, eternally minded, I guess. Mm. Yeah. So you ever have one of those stress dreams where you're dreaming and like you're it's your it's your senior year of college and you're going to go take the test and you've gone to none of the classes mm-hmm. and you're kind of running around campus and then the buildings change on you. Pretty soon they're going to send me for a drug test. But I promise I'm, no, but you have one of those stress dreams. I had an actor's nightmare the other day. It's just, okay. it's just like that. Yes. So imagine that feeling about your life. Ooh. Imagine that. Yeah. That's something to ponder. Anyway, that's what, that's what came to mind. That's what came to mind to you. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Now, and the look at the book's very practical. I love the fact that, you know, his, uh, I call it a workbook. It's really not a workbook, but yet it is. It is. Because mm-hmm. it asks you questions and then mm-hmm. asks you to really contemplate parts of life. So there's a very practical application, which I need uh, yeah. <laughs> all the time. So I appreciated that. Yeah, I think we all love that. So we're going to introduce Alan in just a second. But first, we're going to go ahead and open with prayer. John, would you go ahead and do that for us? <laughs> yes. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come to you with great praise and great thanksgiving for the amazing gifts that you've given us, the gift of this station and the gift of of the time together, the gift of our great guests. And Father, you remind us in the Psalms that our life is short. Seventy is the sum of our years, or eighty if we are strong, and most of them are fruitless toil. And And we're going to talk today about being the best stewards of our lives, especially as we come to that last portion of our lives. And, and so we ask that you open our minds and our hearts. You pour out your spirit into the minds and hearts of our listeners and bless us with an understanding of what you would have us take away from this so that all of our thoughts, words, and deeds going forward give honor and glory to your great name. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Father, the Son, Son of the, the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Yeah, and I, like Mari said at the beginning, you know, Alan's very well known uh, in the community here in Atlanta. 
for those that may not fully know or may not, you know, uh, have all the details, um, Dr. Uh, Alan Hunt is a convert to Catholicism, former pastor of a megachurch here in Atlanta. He's authored five books, and I'm going to go through those in case you want to research those as you mm-hmm. go through our mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. Confessions of a Megachurch Pastor, How I Discovered the Hidden Treasures of the Catholic Church, Everybody Needs to Forgive Somebody, Life's Greatest Lesson, What I've Learned from the Happiest People I Know, The 21 Undeniable Secrets of Marriage, Taking Your Relationship to the Next Level, and his most recent release, The Fourth Quarter of Your Life, Embracing What Matters Most. Dr. Hunt, we'd love to have you here. Welcome, brother. It is great to be with you all. Thanks for including me today. Absolutely. So, Craig, you alluded (laughs) to, like, you know, Dr. Hunt's very well known in these parts, and you have a great faith journey and it's probably known to just about everybody in some fashion or another but i i feel like we feel like it's re- worth revisiting the great path that god has walked you along and and it, because it's edifying um and would, so would you share kind of the the story that got you from wall street to to the quest atlanta <laughs> <laughs> wow that was i've got that I, I like your boldness. I, like your boldness. Yeah. Good. I think right. that'll get cut, and that'll be up on you know on the what do they call that the cutting room floor. But that's all right. You know, it I sounded see good. Confidence, confidence, confidence is not in a shortage around the Gordon. Home. That's good. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, so yeah, I I, uh, I grew up mostly in the mountains of North Carolina, and <clears throat> went to Mercer in Macon, and met my bride there. And um, as we were talking about getting married, she's an eighth generation Georgian, and and. Um, I kind of wanted to live in North Carolina, and so we compromised, and we lived in Georgia. <laughs> and so yeah, I started off in business and was working for a management consulting firm here in Atlanta. And it really was Anita's, um, my wife Anita's uh, Baptist faith that really kind of drew me back to, to the Christian faith to begin with. You know, I had grown up Methodist uh, in a long line of family, uh, family members that were either Methodist pastors or worked at Methodist colleges. Um, but I really did kind of fall in a way like a lot of people do in high school and college, and so I was perfectly happy to be away. Um, but it was it was really her faith that kind of drew me back into into going to church with her. And through that, I really it, it had a, a spiritual reawakening and um, ultimately a, a, a sense of a divine calling on my life to to leave the business career that I had kind of planned on uh, and to go into full time ordained ministry. So I, I was a Methodist pastor for twenty years, um, as you may know. Um, and including, as Craig mentioned a second ago, I had the privilege the, the last eight years of that to, to lead one of the largest Methodist congregations in the, in the world. Um, and really, really loved the Methodist Church and still am very grateful to the Methodist Church. But along the way, um, I went to grad school and did a, um, a Ph.D. in New Testament and ancient Christian history. And I had uh, two colleagues. One was a Jesuit and one was um, a Dominican and also had a Presbyterian. <laughs> so there were four of us. Uh, but the Dominican and I became very, very close friends and are still very, very, very um, close friends to this day. And it was really through that relationship with Father Stephen um, that I just kind of began to ask questions in my, own, in my own life. He wasn't trying to – we weren't debating the faith. Or, I mean, there, there wasn't any, any of that. It was just – we were just dear friends, and I got exposed to a lot of things I'd never witnessed, experienced before, and, and even also got to um, just bounce things off him and explore stuff. And so I, you know, I came back to Georgia. Um, after that, and was pastoring a Methodist congregation in Rome, 
and was really Rome, Georgia, and was um, <laughs> struggling. I, I realize I, with Catholic audiences, I always need to make that very clear. Boy <laughs> County, Rome, Georgia. Uh, and so I, I, I called Father Steve. I said, you know, I really need some some help in my life, just kind of spiritual direction. So at that point, I started going to, to the monastery in Conyers, down near where I actually live now. Um, and the abbot, Abbot Bernard Johnson at the time, was unbelievably gracious to me and gave me spiritual direction, but really over about 15, 18 years uh, from the beginning of that friendship with Father Stephen, and we had several encounters. One was uh, that, that I've shared with a, in a lot of settings was with a particular group of cloister Dominican nuns that really, really opened me up to a whole different dimension to the to the faith that I, it wasn't that I was ignorant of it. I mean, I literally didn't even know that existed. Um, mm-hmm. And it was through that I began to really up to a whole lot of other possibilities in my life, and I really felt God calling me to um, the deepest relationship that I could have with Him, and the Eucharist, and contemplative prayer, and some of those resources and beauties that we and treasures that we have as Catholics that are only available in Catholicism really ultimately ultimately drew me home. So you know, I came into the church uh, January sixth, Feast of the Epiphany, in '08. Mm-hmm. Um, and Senior Joe Corbett, who is the pastor now at St. Jude, mm-hmm. many of you know, in Sandy Springs, at the time was a pastor at St. Bridget in uh, Johns Creek slash Alpharetta. And he and I were friends, and but uh, he had recently become the vicar general back in those days with uh, now Cardinal Gregory. And so I, I called him and Senior Joe one day, and I said, hey, um, could we maybe have lunch? And he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of busy. I'm vicar general, blah, blah, blah. And, um, he said, yeah, I could probably see you in about six months. And I said, yeah, that, that's cool. I said, I really, I really kind of want to get together and talk a little bit about becoming Catholic. He said, yeah, I'll, I'll grab lunch with you tomorrow. <laughs> so, so, Monsignor Joe was, is my <laughs> pastor, and I can totally see yeah. him doing yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, and I, he and I met in a secret undisclosed location since I was the pastor of this church. Uh, and, and, and I said, yeah, here's, here's kind of what's on my heart and what's going on in my soul uh, and need a little help. So. You put all that together. I mean, I could tell stories for hours, but uh, put all that together. I, I love, love, love being Catholic. I mean, I know we have our own sense of issues and challenges. Uh, no place is perfect, but I love the Catholic faith. Um, it's just so rich, and it's it, just the saints themselves are inexhaustible, let alone everything else about being Catholic. And so I love I love being able to eat at the, at the Catholic banquet table. How did that, by the way, reconcile with your family who was not Catholic? That had to be a tough journey for you. Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a great question, Craig. And, and you know, there's sort of different levels to that. Um, my my father was deceased when, when this happened. Um, my mom had, had always been, been Methodist. She's a very matter-of-fact woman, was a calculus professor, so very rational analytic. So she really didn't have a whole lot of reaction. Uh, her, her first reaction was, and this, this sounds strange, and, and it, it leads to a longer conversation, which we won't have today, but her, her first response when I told her I was becoming Catholic was caught me so off guard. It was so out of the blue. She said, so you really believe in the assumption of Mary? <laughs> that was her first question. Of in, all in my the entire things. life, in the 44 years at that point, because that's when I was 44 when I came to the church, in the 44 years that she had been my mom at that point, in our household, we had never— had any conversation 
ever about the Assumption of Mary. And so it took me about 10 years to figure out where that question even came from. Like, <laughs> wow, that, that's the first thing that comes to mind. So, um, but, you know, so that, that wasn't a big deal. My, my uncle was a Methodist pastor. I think he's, he, he's still kind of processing it. Um, my, my, my in-laws, it was, a little, it was a little tougher putt there because they're, they're very, very staunch Southern Baptist um, and had, had a number of things about Catholicism that um, were challenging for them. But it, growing up Methodist, the the tiger I like to say is a little is a little less wide from Methodist because yeah. we had this, we had the, the idea of sacraments we used creeds we we uh, uh, we had liturgy we had a hierarchy all those kinds of things that oftentimes our Baptist and non denominational friends um, struggle with those were all just kind of part and parcel of my life so it kind of varied based on different people in my family but none none of it was I mean it, it, some of it was a little more heartburn but it was but yeah. it, it wasn't uh, not yeah, overly wasn't adversarial. Sort of, no, no, one terrible. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, it's funny. My my, my question is going to dovetail off of the, the picture of you um, with with you know a lot of our great saints had skulls, and they would just contemplate the skull. And I could see you contemplating this book, staring at a skull, and kind of saying, "Okay, what does death really look like? What uh, what? Why was your desire to really write a fourth quarter book at this point in time?" <clears throat> Yeah, and, 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 uh, you're actually the first person that's asked me that, Craig, which is, which is kind of interesting. It's that, either that, really that, dumb then or it may be profound. So <laughs> I'm going to go with profound. So brilliant. Brilliant. Profound. <laughs> it, 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 it could be both, but I doubt it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, at Dynamic Catholic, we, we create a resource every year for the last 10 years we have, that we create because of our generous ambassadors and are able to give to the church for free. And so, you know, decision point confirmation, blessed first communion. Um, better together marriage preparation, and so we had, we had ten of those, and we we got to the to the ninth one, which was trying to create something around aging and dying, Craig, and because nobody talks about it um, in our culture that worships youth, and where we deny death or we try to defy death with plastic surgery and cryogenics and all kinds of things, and where we just where we're scared to take kids to funerals, um, where we we just we really don't like death. Uh, we're really a very well, death kind of culture, more so than almost any. Yep. Uh, and, and even in the church, we, we get very nervous about it. And so, you know, a lot of, to be perfectly blunt, a lot of Catholics in America are in the fourth quarter. Uh, if you look mm-hmm. at the demographics of the church mm-hmm. in America, a um, pretty high percentage is in that 60 to 80 year old um, window. And it's been funny since we wrote it, and I'll get to your question here in a second, but since we wrote it, it's what's been most startling to me, Craig, is how many people have written us or emailed us and said, thank you for thank you for having this conversation. I wondered if I was the only person that was having these thoughts and, and nobody else, people would either laugh yeah. at me or they didn't want to talk about it. Uh, so we were, we were trying to bring out this notion of, okay, God, God doesn't let you live in your fourth quarter and abandon you as if it were purposeless. Um, as Mari said at the beginning of the show, purposeful and eternally minded. Those, those are two great phrases. I wish I'd have thought of those. I should have had you in on the writing of the bookmark. I was like, those, those are two good, two good descriptions. Your next book. And, and, yeah, yeah. So when, when it came time to, to do this resource, a long-winded answer, I apologize. No, it's great. Uh, when, it, when it came time to do this resource, after we'd done, done these other ones, Matthew, my partner, Matthew Kelly, is 50, and I'm turning 60. And so Matthew said, you're, you're closer to death and dying than I am. You write this one. <laughs> um, and so because we, we both, we've been procrastinating it. Neither one of us wanted to do it. Um, I mean, who wants to have that conversation? But as I got into into the research before he and I started actually writing it together, we, I spent about three years of research on this. Um, 
it was exhilarating because because nobody does talk about it. And and you're exactly right. What really got me, Craig, was the notion of of St. Benedict saying, remember your death daily. Keep your death before your eyes daily. Um, And I love Benedict anyway. But that notion is so powerful because if you just do that, in fact, there's a great study from the University of Kentucky that shows if you just think about your death for a minute a day, you actually raise your life satisfaction, your contentment, and your um, emotional health significantly. So it's, it's not only eternally minded, but it actually makes living your fourth quarter better. Um, and Benedict, I think Benedict is just genius in general. Uh, and so that, that idea, and then there's, there's a nun now uh, in, in the U.S. who travels some and, and carries the skull with her and does, does talks on this. Really? Um, kind of, trying to kind of help people um, remember this and to, and to talk about contemplating the skull each day and contemplating death. So, yeah, it, it, was, it, was, a, it was a necessary thing that we had in the vision from 10 years ago that we dreaded that as I got into it was exhilarating and St. Benedict carried the day. Just, mm. That's awesome. One Thank minute. you. Keep That's... your death before your eyes daily. Yeah, no, we think of it as being very morbid, but it's not, right? It kind of is a, uh, I don't know, an equalizer level or of what am I doing today? Yeah, and you know, the, I, I was reading some good stuff the other day about the people who are most nervous about death, generally people who haven't really begun to live yet. Mm. Yeah. That if you've really begun to live, you understand that death is a part of it. Yeah. And you're, and you're, and you're, and you're much more comfortable with it. Folks, if you're just joining us, you're in the family room, and we're here with Dr. Alan Hunt, and we're talking about uh, a resource that he's put together as part of Dynamic Catholic that helps us to deal with death and in the fourth quarter of our lives. Um, Dr. Hunt, one of the things, um, you're, the, the, the workbook portion of it, so there's the fable part that kind of gets all the creative juices flowing, and then there's the workbook, the practical part of it, which we really love, by the way, that kind of format, super helpful, but um, there, it's broken into like chapters, and, and I know we're going to probe around different chapters through the conversation here, but one that caught my eye was five signs of a successful life. Can you dial in on that just a little bit? Yeah, that was, remind me, I think that's what, exercise three or... I don't know what the number was. I just jotted yeah, it down. Yeah, five signs of a successful fourth quarter is exercise three. So, so I'm sorry, fourth yeah. quarter, yes. Five signs yeah, yeah. of a successful fourth quarter. Um, so... As you mentioned, the, the fourth quarter of your life is the workbook that has 40 different exercises, and they're not necessarily intended to, to be sequential. You can kind of bounce in and out based on the, the topics and the questions that fascinate you the most. But but we really started with that as exercise early on um, in, the, in the workbook. Matthew and I chose to put that pretty early because we wanted people thinking about, okay, I, I have a pretty good sense in the first quarter of my life what success looks like. You know, I, I kind of figure out who I am. I get educated, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera. In the, in the next section, I, I kind of build my build my life. Maybe I get married. Maybe I build a career, uh, whatever. The next one, I'm kind of in my prime from 40 to 60. I've kind of been living out what I've been doing. But from 60 to 80, what, what does success look like? Um, and so we wanted to kind of give folks sort of five categories, physically active lifestyle, mental stimulation, social engagement, meaning and purpose, and spiritual vitality. Um, and, and ask them to kind of rank themselves from one to ten, going from um, I'm really hurting at one to ten I'm thriving and anywhere in between. And so, because really all five of those, as we did our research, as we did about a thousand plus interviews, as we read all the science on aging, uh, as we did a number of different things to kind of to study aging and dying in, in the U.S., 
these were the five that kind of stand out as really all five in order to have a to you again to use Mari's term a purposeful and eternally minded and also vital vibrant fourth quarter these are kind of the all five of these need to be present um, at some reason well I mean if you're if you're physically suffering it's going to be very hard to have a successful fourth quarter because uh, so much of your life's going to be spent on that right. mental stimulation to keep yourself fresh expanded to create and, and creating new ideas and being exposed to things keeping your mind sharp social engagement Harvard study came out uh, last year the the longest uh, I think it's an 82 or 85 year study longitudinally over multiple generations of the same family to see what leads to um, a satisfying fourth quarter. And they boiled it down to one thing, positive relationships, um, that that makes all the difference in the world. And so social engagement, you and I would, would also understand that as having a sense of belonging, um, being a part of the family of God, being a part of a parish, being connected to my brothers and sisters, meaning and purpose. You know, God, God didn't leave me here for no reason. What, what is, what, what, why am I here? And what does God hope for my fourth quarter? And then spiritual vitality, having that living, breathing relationship with, with the Lord through the sacraments, through the scriptures, um, and, and through prayer. So that it, finding you – know, all of us aren't going to be a 10 out of 10 on all five of those, but finding, okay, h- how am I going to have a successful fourth quarter, and, and which of these do I need to really spruce up, and which ones do I really need to kind of use as the springboard and leverage for everything else? It's funny because as you described that, you talked about having a successful fourth quarter. But what I really liked about your book is how you delve into what I would call the deeper question, kind of peeling back that onion, meaning, you know, you're really pressing people when you say, I want to become successful as a, as a younger person. All right. What is success? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, even broke it down even further to say, you know, when you talked about being a good person, well, what does it even mean to be a person? And I think that's really critical to this whole thing because i think when you break that apart you really talk about who am i why am i here kind of going back to mari's and yours purpose right why is that really important as i at at my age almost 60 now why is that important for me to think about in my fourth quarter because i'm going to be honest with you we're not taught to think about that in our first three (laughs) quarters so why in the world do you want me to think about it now yeah and as a as we spend a lot of our time in those first three quarters, success is defined in the, in the traditional ways of money, of acquire, accumulate, um, th- that kind of stuff. And fourth quarter, that, that you, you learn that that's actually not going to be it. Uh, and you, you begin to realize, okay, this journey does, does have an end. And I guess the way, that, the way that I look at it oftentimes, Craig, is really kind of it comes from more of a Carmelite, Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross um, approach, is that, um, as John of the Cross would say, First John chapter three and chapter four it says God is love. So you and I are on our journey. We're pilgrims here. We're just passing through, and we're on a journey into the presence of God. And if God is love, we're going to be judged by love. And all I'm going to take into the presence of God when I finally get to Him is love. If He is love, that's all that's going to be present around Him. And so we begin to realize in our fourth quarter is that maybe success is becoming the most loving version of myself. Um, maybe the most patient, maybe the most generous, but particularly to become the most loving version of myself. Um, and again, as good Catholics that I can hopefully shorten, if I, if I can use my fourth quarter to become the most loving version of myself, hopefully I can make purgatory a whole <laughs> lot less than, than, than it is probably when I was 40. Uh, and so that as I learn to be less about me and more about loving God and loving people who are made in his image, 
as I become more loving, I'm getting closer and closer in, into God himself. That's great. A great explanation. Yeah, it is. And uh, as Craig was talking, I was thinking, what do, what are we trained to think about at this point? We're trying to think about retirement, retirement. You know, we don't even think about what's your purpose. You still have mm-hmm. a purpose, and it's very important to have a purpose, right? We just think about, oh, I'm going to retire and go play golf or play tennis or whatever it is for the rest of my life. Um, okay, so, Alan, you once told me that it's really good on the radio to put your um, guest on the spot and ask really hard questions of your guest. Um, so... What is your fourth quarter looking like, Alan? You're about to start it. What? How is that different? Because you've already been serving God in so many different ways, and you've already been on this eternally purposeful uh, journey. How? What is it looking like for you? Well, Anita and I, over the last year, um, have spent a lot of time in prayer about that, Mari. And to be honest, we're, we're making a pretty significant downshift come uh, January 6th when I turn 60. So I'm going to be retiring from my role at Dynamic Catholic, mm. and I'm going to um, – we, we both of our daughters are in situations where they need a pretty significant amount of help uh, with, with, with the kids. My mother-in-law, whom we live behind, um, has some significant health challenges. And so we really just have this deep sense that God is calling us to become more loving in our own lives and loving those people around us with our grandkids as our primary mission field um, and helping to – Helping my grand—I mean, my mother-in-law—to uh, finish her life really, really well, um, and so to be more deeply invested than we ever have been. So I'm going to—I'm going to scale back to working only 100 days a year. Mm. Um, I'm going to have a couple different projects, but most of it's going to be around the fourth quarter. Going to be doing some coaching <laughs> and some writing and some workshops and things like that. Uh, but most of our life really is going to be more about um, the way I describe it: is we're going big by going small. <laughs> we're going to be—we're going to be, gonna be um, going much smaller. Uh, and to really be pouring ourselves more intensely into three different family situations uh, for the foreseeable future. And that's where uh, God's planning us right now. So more loving, um, going smaller, and 100 days a year. We really appreciate your candor. You know, we appreciate your candor and also just that that example. And ironically enough, so you're turning 60 in January and you're going to retire then. I turned 60 in June, and so I'm planning to retire in May. We've had the same conversations at our house as well because we want to be able to be more intentional and really make sure that we're we're spending our time and our resources and our energy where it really matters. So that's really that's really cool to hear. And yeah, I, mean, I think to, to Craig's earlier point, I mean, in writing this book, you know, these two books on the fourth quarter, it really had a pretty profound impact on me, Mari. Mm-hmm. It really did. Um, yeah. I dreaded doing it. I found it energizing, but then I found it deeply um, personally reflective in terms of, okay, what is God calling me to, to, to do and to look like, and who does he want me to be, and what does that fourth quarter look like? So it, it, it's, been, it's been a pretty um, pregnant year, if you will, as we get ready to turn 60. <laughs> so what God's giving birth for the fourth quarter really has. Been, it's been kind of fun. Awesome. That well, thanks is great. for going on that journey. Yeah, definitely. And, and we can see it in the quality of the materials, Alan, because your heart and soul and your true personal reflection come through, and it makes it even more meaningful for the rest of us as we read it. So we really appreciate that. We are going to be back here in the family room with Dr. Alan Hunt in just a few minutes. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back in the family room, sponsored by Versprite, right after this. In today's world, cybersecurity is critical for your business. Award-winning Versprite provides solutions to protect your company from hackers. For protection now, see Versprite.com. That's V-E-R-Sprite.com. The Quest thanks Versprite for their support. The Quest presents... Pro-Life Minutes. Have you had an abortion? I have. Maybe your story sounds like mine. I kept a dark secret for 28 years. I buried it deep inside me because I couldn't bear the pain, self-condemnation, and shame. 
The secret surfaced now and then, but I managed to shove it back down into the darkness because it was truly unbearable. There are no words to describe how bad I felt and how much I hated myself for what I had done. But finally, I found healing through the PATH program. That's post-abortion treatment and healing. Where there used to be pain and darkness in my heart, there is now joy, peace, love, hope, and gratitude for Christ. This can be your story too. Don't wait. Contact PATH now and find the healing you need. Go to healingafterabortion.org. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. My name is Father Dan Ketter, a priest of the Archdiocese of Atlanta, and I want to share with you a favorite prayer of mine. This comes from St. Ignatius of Loyola. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and possess. Thou hast given all to me. To thee, O Lord, I return it. All is thine. Dispose of it wholly according to thy will. Give me thy love and thy grace, and this is sufficient for me. This is Dr. Ray Gurendi from The Doctor Is In. Okay, I'll confess. Years ago when I was asked to be on Catholic Radio, I peremptorily said, uh, no thanks. But I was talked into a temporary assignment, if you will. And then I realized over the brief period of time I was there, the power of Catholic Radio. As I got emails and letters from folks who have come back to the church, whose families converted, whose lives were made better, no doubt in my mind, the best bang for the buck is Catholic Radio. It's training for the troops. It makes better Catholics, better Christians out of the folks who listen, and then they go out to transform the world. Support of your local Catholic radio station helps keep shows like The Doctor Is In available in your area. No matter the amount, your gift works to make a difference for you, for others, and for the future of our Catholic radio family. Please prayerfully consider making a gift right now. To donate, log on to thequestatlanta.com. Hi, I'm John Crisani, and I belong to St. Peter Chanel Catholic Church in Roswell. And you're listening to AM 1160 The Quest, your Atlantic Catholic radio. Welcome back to The Family Room with Mari, John, and Craig, sponsored by Verse Sprite on AM 1160 The Quest. We're here with uh, Dr. Alan Hunt. And as we traditionally do, we always love to find out about our guests' favorite family room memory. So, Alan, do you have one in mind that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, you know, we, we moved to uh, North Fulton uh, from Rome, Georgia, in 1999. Um, and I think it was in that first year. Um, and our daughters would have been in fifth grade and third grade. And we moved into our house. And it got struck by lightning and, <laughs> and it burned up the TV. And we had, we had a very old television. And so uh, it took them three months to repair the television, whatever <laughs> they did. And so we, we sat each night and we read aloud. We'd sit uh, together in the, in the den. And I would read more often than not, it was a Harry Potter book, but sometimes it was something else. Uh, some C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, and I, I would read for us each night, and we didn't have any television for three months, and that may have been the best three months of uh, my role as a dad uh, in, in my whole life. It was it was fantastic, and if I had had enough willpower, I never would have gone back to TV. It was, <laughs> it was just amazing what it did not having the TV there and sitting together and reading and enjoying those, that one book as a foursome uh, every night. 
love that sitting in the den. That's, That's very great. cool. Yeah. And do your girls still remember that too? Do they ever bring that up? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. They talk about it all the time. And so uh, when when I go see that, either one of them's in Columbus, Georgia, and the other one's out at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, where her husband's in the Navy. When I go see them, uh, oftentimes they'll they'll want to get together and just read aloud as a family uh, with the grandkids, just to kind of because it, there's something magical that happens when you when you sit together and all concentrate on the on the one story and you and um, I don't know. I don't. I, I can't describe it. I don't know how, how it happens. I just know that it does. That's very cool. That's very cool. So, Ellen, going back to our topic of the fourth quarter, you talk about the concept of a fourth quarter virtue. Why is that important? Yeah, just get right at that question, John. Okay, why is it important? <laughs> Set up, no teeing it up. Just boom! All right, there it is. Um, so, in in writing that in writing that book, the the fable, the the no regrets, the fable about living your fourth and your fourth quarter intentionally. Um, Matthew and I really kind of took all the research that we've been looking at for several years um, and then all the interviews that we did. We were really thinking about the people who seemed to be thriving in the fourth quarter. And we started thinking about, okay, what what really are the keys? What are the secrets there? And so um, when people hear my talk on the five secrets to living and dying with no regrets or the five secrets to um, a, a great fourth quarter, they oftentimes will say four of those don't surprise me, but the one about the focusing on a fourth quarter virtue, that, that's that's really unique. And I think that was one of the, I think that's one of the best contributions that we make in, in these two resources is the idea of this fourth quarter virtue, because as we looked at people who were really thriving, and we're again we're looking at it from a faith perspective, um, we noticed that that, that 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 some of them it was conscious and some of them it was it was it wasn't it wasn't. In front of mind, but it was but it was clear the evidence that there was one virtue in their life that was really providing the fuel and the focus and the purpose for that fourth quarter. Um, for one guy, it was a fellow who'd been very successful in business, and then as he, as he was turning into his sixties, he really kind of leveraged. He, he realized he wasn't as sharp anymore, but he had all this wisdom that he'd accumulated, and so he began to really mentor and coach people, and he leveraged that wisdom uh, for his fourth quarter. For for another woman, it was a woman who had been a nurse; uh, she had never married. Um, and when she when she retired from being a nurse in the in the hospital, she really decided to really fortitude um, became her her her, her fourth quarter virtue is that she started to go on international medical mission trips to some of the most dangerous places in the world mm. uh, in her sixties and seventies, wow. uh, and died died doing that. This this, wow. this very mild mannered woman who had this bold courageous faith and that fortitude just governed and, and I mean it became the, the centerpiece of, of her fourth quarter and so we, you know another, another guy for whom patience he was caring for his wife as she died of Alzheimer's in her 60s and it, that patience began to kind of take over in his life and he began to realize that that patience was bearing fruit in every other aspect of his life when he go to the grocery store when he's sitting in the doctor's room um, waiting doctor's waiting room uh, th this patience became, became the centerpiece so Helping people think about what what is what do you think is the virtue that God's planted in you, and maybe you haven't ever noticed it before. Maybe it's been a big part of your life, or maybe it's just something that's, that's there for the fourth quarter. That that provides a real clarity um, for for a fourth quarter in, in a really powerful way. So let's stay with that for one second. Uh, if if we're not sure, like well, okay, these it's clear you you looked at all these people had these specific virtues and and they stayed with it. So we're we're in our fourth quarter or headed in, and we're like, well, I'm not sure. What is there a suggestion that you would make? Say, pay attention to these things to help determine what your fourth quarter virtue might be. 
Yeah, I mean, John, I think yours is humility. Let's just let's just be honest. I think it's humility. <laughs> we would actually agree with that. Actually, not facetiously, we would actually really agree with that. Greg and, and, and I that, talk and, about that all the time. And that one he has to work on, one that he's mastered very well. <laughs> no, that's not even true. <laughs> but I love his sense of humor. And so pay attention, please. I, I, I would disagree. We all think we all think that. But go ahead. Sorry, Ellen. Yeah, so, but the, it, it's a great question, and it's one that I get from a lot of folks, John. And, and I, I think two things. One is that to go back and, I mean, in, in both of the books, the, the fable and in the, the workbook, we list 15 to 20 virtues to, to go and list right. those. Secondly is to actually, um, in prayer, just just begin listening to God um, because, I mean, take take the woman uh, for whom fortitude, I don't think she ever would have said, my fourth quarter virtue is fortitude. Mm-hmm. I don't think she decided it and, and then acted on it. Right. I think it just sort of emerged and anybody looking at her and observing her life goes, man, that woman is all about fortitude. Uh, and, and so to, to, to begin kind of praying and listening and also just kind of sensing what's, what, what is bubbling up in you in terms of what's exciting you, what's energizing you, um, what seems to be kind of emerging. I mean, again, the, the fellow, the, the fellow who was caring for his wife who was dying of Alzheimer's never in a million years would have, would have thought patience until it had been, I mean, he'd been caring for her for eight years when she passed away. And then it was probably another two years after that before he realized, Hey, you know what? Patience is really kind of a thing for me. Mm. So just so kind, of, sort of, kind of, it was, you know, we like to say the fourth quarter can be more of a birthing than a dying. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, it's the birthing of this virtue that's, that's coming out of you. And again, back to Craig's question from a few minutes ago about, you know, where are we headed? Who am I and why am I here? You begin, in, if you begin paying attention to it and actually thinking about it and praying about it, more often than not, it, it'll emerge in its own way. But I think a lot of us want to know what the virtue is and then begin to, live out it actually comes probably as a result of what you're doing as you're trying to kind of be faithful and live your life then you begin to realize hey this is the virtue that really seems to be popping up and holy cow what might god do with this once i actually realize that and start cooperating with it it. yeah Yeah, that's really helpful because a lot of people these days do their word of the year you know and oftentimes a word of the year might be a virtue i know in years past my word of the year was joy or was whatever and it was and it was that it was a virtue i was chasing it was a virtue i was going after but I love that way of looking at it because when I read when I read No Regrets, I was th- and I was looking at the virtues. I was like, okay, I think I need to take these to adoration. I need to ask God, you know, which one of these. But I love that idea of go live for God, go live for the eternal purposes that He's put on your heart, the passions, the needs He's ha- helped you to see, the passions He's put in your heart, and then you're going to start living out some of the virtues, and it be, will crystallize. That's really a cool way to look at it. Craig, you had a thought. No, no, I was just going to say, as uh, is, is we delved into that, there was Lesson 12 in the book called The Classroom of Silence. And when mm-hmm. you look at that, if you don't mind, I'm going to share. Uh, sure. You know, Alan has written down, make prayer and spirituality a priority in your fourth quarter. We keep talking about intentionality, intentionality. Develop a daily prayer habit. Mm-hmm. Go on a pilgrimage. Read great spiritual books. Read the Bible. Learn to sit in God's presence and just be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Psalm 46, 10, 48, 10. 50. Be still and know that I am God. 50. Um, <laughs> keep a spiritual journal. Go on a silent retreat. Study the history of the faith. I love the last one, though. Say yes to God. Mm. Right. God, you govern this next quarter more than letting me govern that next quarter. Right. So I love that they, that you hit that in the book. So beautiful answer to that question. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what you know, the, the fable, as Maury was talking about there, Craig, that, you know, again, those five keys to living and dying with no regrets. 
number one is number one for a reason. And number one is say yes to God. Mm -hmm. Because if you actually do, like you were just saying, Craig, say yes to God in the fourth quarter, you're, you're the pilot, you're driving this, help me, you're governing this, to use your, your, use your language. Um, a lot of the other, you, that way you know who you are and where you're going, and that and that will keep you from just flailing around trying to figure out all the, all the rest of the stuff. That's why it, it comes first, that say yes to God, and those those other things are the ways that you begin to do that. Yeah. Um, and, and it's exciting to say yes to God because he's got yeah. he's got the best plans possible, the ones that we don't even we don't even know yet. Um, which is why I love the fact that you just mentioned your fourth quarter is almost like a rebirth. You know, we're not mm -hmm. we're not dying. We're actually being reborn at this mm -hmm. point, which is very cool to think about. You know, you've got these five keys. One of your keys is uh, you mentioned examples of the give it away, you know, giving themselves away like the, the woman you mentioned who actually died in serving others overseas. But one of the other ones you mentioned is something that has been a topic I've talked to a n number of people about recently. I do some work in healing ministry, and we talked about forgiving and just the how having an unforgiving heart and having unforgiveness can truly um, break you down th physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, all the rest of it. But tell us more about that one. Forgive and forgive often was one of your five keys. Can you can you pour into that one a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, if you if you think back to what we shared a little while ago about trying to become the most loving version of yourself, if you're headed toward God who is love, grace and forgiveness are a big part of that. But in, in again, in doing all those interviews and observing all those people, the difference between people who were forgiving versus the people who were pushing big wheelbarrows full of regrets, grudges, and resentments. Mm. It's really hard to be pushing those wheelbarrows um, and even still adding to them um, all, all the way through through your fourth quarter. It just weighs you down, and as you just said, Maury, it, it destroys you from the inside out. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully that, you know, as we're between the ages of 60 and 80, that we, we hopefully are mature enough in the faith that we're beginning to grasp the grace of God to us through the sacrament of confession, but also through the forgiving people in our lives and how hopefully we're growing in forgiveness. Um, because that otherwise that's going to, that's going to, there, there's a reason why it's one of the five keys, because if, if you don't get that right, the fourth quarter is going to be really, really difficult for you. I mean, yeah. I'll be as honest as I can, as I can be. If you, if you can't move into a deeper level of forgiveness, you're going to live in the past instead of the future. You're going to live in the past with with all the negativity of the past. It's going to be like poison inside of you. It's going to destroy you from the inside out. Very hard to overcome that. You can do all the other things. You can say yes to God, and you can be, you know, <clears throat> be giving giving generously of yourself and of your money and, and your whole life. But if, if that forgiveness I mean, it's just like this big knot in the middle of you that it, it'll destroy you, it does. Yeah. And if I understand the theology behind it, too, aren't we also blocking God's graces when we're so full of unforgiveness? Um, yeah, and it's also, it's, I mean, I hate to be too um, too ju judgy my judgers in here, but <laughs> we, you know, if, if, I, if I'm availing myself of the grace of God and in confession and in and asking him to forgive me, who am I to withhold forgiveness from you? Right, right. Um, hey, I want forgiveness in my life, but I'm but I'm not willing to forgive you. Uh, and so it, it just kind of blocks the flow of grace in you, and it blocks your spiritual your spiritual health. It's like a big tumor in the middle of your soul. Well, that's a great visual. A tenant of the Our Father, right? Yep, exactly. Yep. It's interesting as you talk about this, Alan, because I've got a 95-year-old mother that, uh, God bless us, was able to be here for Thanksgiving. 
But she sits there and talks about, you know, why am I still here? What am I doing? And, you know, my capacities are all declining. But yet at the same time, every other week she leads her little Bible study with uh, her group and picks the books to read and prompts all these older women to, you know, get deeper into their faith and do all these things. And she's still going to mass, you know, almost daily things like that. And it reminded me of the comments you meant about, you know, my capacities, my, 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 re, my remembering may be going down or whatever, but there's a whole set of skills that God has given me that if I'm still here at 50, 60, 90, he wants me to still put those to use and not just kind of going back to the talents, right? We talk mm -hmm. about the talents. I can still utilize those at 95, right? Yeah. And, you know, it, I, I, I that's that's the positive side, Craig. The, the the other side of that is the number of conversations that we had in doing this research from people who were who were suffering, um, and they and they they didn't really have a lot of faculties to be able to give or or to marshal for other people, and they were wondering why why am I here? What what do I have to contribute? And I think part of that's again our American notion that if you're not contributing, then somehow you're not you're not of value. But as Catholics, we know the redemptive power of suffering in our lives, not only in terms of how that suffering helps to purify me, but how it how my and again this isn't a, a particular particularly popular subject, but how my suffering, the people who are helping me and serving me as I suffer, let's say I have Alzheimer's or let's say I um have Lou Gehrig's that in my suffering, I'm helping purify those people around me. Um, that there's a purpose in my suffering, not only for me, but in the sanctification of the people um, around me. And so even when our culture tells us that we don't have value or and we don't have anything to contribute, you and I as Catholics know that, that may be when we actually have the most to contribute, mm -hmm. uh, that when we're, when we're the most human, uh, that we're not just products in the consumer economy, uh, we're products in the economy of God in this 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 economy of love and grace and mercy. Listeners, if you are just joining us, you are here in the family room. We are with Dr. Alan Hunt, and we are talking about one of the resources, a pair of books that he and Matthew Kelly at Dynamic Catholic have put together. Um, the resource is No Regrets. There is a fable that is called No Regrets, and then there's also a workbook called The Fourth Quarter of Your Life. And um, we'll make sure to put in the show notes exactly how to get those, and we'll talk about it a bit more as well. Um, Alan, you know, we keep referencing Matthew because we're all ambassadors of Dynamic Catholic, and we're having our own conversation, but we didn't ever ask you about that, but it would, I think it probably be fascinating for some people to understand how did you end up connecting with, with Matthew Kelly and Dynamic Catholic and, and um, tell us a little bit more about that partnership. Yeah. You, you know, we started the show, I came into the church in January 6th of 2008 mm -hmm. and it was about a year later. I don't remember if it was fall of 08 or spring of 09. Um, there was a guy named Ken Blanchard who wrote the one minute manager, yep. uh, Protestant guy, uh, had, 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 I don't know if he still does, a ministry called Lead Like Jesus, which tries to help business people integrate their faith into uh, into their business lives. And so they were actually hosting a conference um, at the congregation that I used to be the pastor of. Uh -huh. um, and um, my wife was still the children's minister there because we'd agreed not to, to part that congregation at the same time. And so she signed me up to be a bus driver and food volunteer. <laughs> Go, Anita. Go, Anita. <laughs> a loving wife. And so there were 12 speakers at that, and um, Matthew was one, and Pat Lencioni was another, and mm -hmm. they were the only two Catholics. And so Pat emailed me, and he said, hey, I'm going to be in Atlanta. I'd love to get together, and can we have breakfast? So I, I, I met Pat. We had breakfast. And he said, let me introduce you to the other 
Catholic speaker, uh, this guy named Matthew Kelly. I said, I don't know who, who he is, but great. So I go to my, my former congregation. I'm driving the shuttle bus. Pat introduces me to uh, to Matthew, and Matthew and I just became really, really good friends pretty quickly because we both had – we realized we both sort of have the same deep passion and heart for evangelization and for helping sleepy Catholics wake up and for helping non-Catholics become Catholic and for just um, helping to re-energize the church. And so a couple of years later, we just decided um, that the highest and best use, really God decided for me that the highest and best use of my gifts would be to try to help Matthew leverage this tremendous grassroots following that he had built, traveling 259th a year for 20 years. I mean, the guy's just been a remarkable workhorse um, and to leverage that for the greatest good of the church. So I started partnering with him, uh, I think it was 2011, full-time. That's great. That's great. Uh, thanks for clarifying, because when you said you were bus driving, I thought he hired you as a chauffeur. So <laughs> thanks for peeling that one back. <laughs> well, and also just thank you and Matthew and Dynamic Catholic, because the resources that you guys have created have um, really blessed so many of us in so many ways. So, um, yeah. It's been, it's been an absolute sacred blessing to be a part of it. Now, you guys do great work. You know, as we talked about the book, we've hit on a couple of chapters. Are there any chapters, though, that stick out in your mind that you may want to bring up that either people have come up to you and said, wow, this, this really resonated with me or frankly resonated with you as you wrote the book. Well, I could talk about that for hours, Craig. Um, the, I think the one that, that kind of leaps to mind for me first is ex, is the exercise number 14 um, in, in the workbook. And we call that what's your story. It's the longest exercise in the book. And it is, it, designed to be that way on purpose and it you know you and i had mentioned earlier that you know i have 10 coaching clients i, I don't want to get a, a bigger practice than that i mean again yep. i'm trying it down but yeah, 10 folks that, that i meet with um every other week individually uh to, to kind of coach them on their fourth quarter and we well, i always start with that one what's your story because it, it turns out to be so powerful because we ask a number of questions i don't remember how many questions are in that exercise but it's probably 25 or 30 really getting people to think about what's brought them to the point where they are now thinking about different aspects of their life different moments different memories to really claim the first three quarters and understand those first three quarters and live in that to, as a as a as the nest i guess before you lay the egg of the fourth quarter is to really build that you know you're not just starting afresh um as you start the fourth quarter you got you got 60 plus years of of life here and those conversations uh, are so stirring, inspiring, sometimes provocative, as people really wrestle with these questions. Some, some people, it takes them months just to complete that one exercise. Some people, you know, whiz through it in a day. But to really think about these different memories and, and different key pivotal moments and, and pivotal people in their lives, to me, that's, to me, that's one of the fun things. Is just, you know, I'm, I'm a relationship and story guy, so I love hear, hearing, people's, hearing people's stories and, and their encounters. So that one, that one was one of my favorites. Yeah, 44 questions. Is it 44? Wow. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's great. That is great. You know what? As you were talking about it, it made me think of, I used to be, I was a spiritual director for a chirp group, Christ Renews Parish, and in working with a number of different women on my team as well as other teams in helping to put together their witness talks, that's kind of what happened. And so as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, as you work with people through that, do they also start to see where God has been even more in their lives? Does it increase their faith? Because as they look back, they're like, oh, my gosh, God was there and God was here. And yeah, they start to kind of connect the dots and see where God was kind of writing. And, yeah. And, and that, that's, that's why we have it that way. It's like, All right, God, God's brought you here in a certain way. Let's, let's take some time and actually think about that and talk about that. Yeah, very cool. 
Very cool. So broaden our scope for a second, maybe. You've got so many resources out there. What other resources would you have our listeners um, think about? Because we've got some folks who may not be thinking that they're ready for their fourth quarter. Um, and, 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 Hiding from their fourth quarter. Well, but I mean, but it, it, on, their timeline, on their timeline of life, they're not, they're not ready for their fourth quarter. So there's other things that you've put together, uh, either on your own or with, with Matthew Kelly, that might be worth mentioning. And then if you could also share with us where we can find those resources. So, so in our show notes and people listening, they go out and they really dig into the great wealth of information that you've shared. On the fourth quarter itself, you know, this, I, I, as I move into mine, I'm just kind of calling myself the fourth quarter guy. This is pretty much all I'm going to do. And so I've got a YouTube channel, Dr. Alan Hunt. The YouTube channel has got 250-plus videos at this point, most of which are uh, one to three minutes, and 95% of them are on different aspects of the fourth quarter. All that's obviously free. you got the, got the two books um, that, that you mentioned. You can get, get those at dynamiccatholic.com. You can get those at Amazon, obviously. Amazon sells everything <laughs> under the sun from liquor to guns to dynamic Catholic books. So you can get it all. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the other resources I guess would be, you know, uh, as Craig mentioned, I, I do some one-on-one coaching. I'm going to do some workshops and that kind of stuff. So just my website, fourthquarterguy.com has, has a little bit about that. Fourthquarterguy.com. Several of my, co- actually three of my coaching clients are, are, are men. Uh, all my clients are men. I don't know if that's, I hadn't, didn't really set out for it to be that way, but that's what it is right now. Um, and, and three of them are in their 40s. Uh, they're not anywhere near their, their fourth quarter, but they're now beginning to think, I actually want to begin thinking about what I want my fourth quarter to look like so I can build toward that. Um, some of the most powerful responses we've gotten have been from uh, women in their 20s that go, this is really causing me to rethink a whole lot about what I'm doing now uh, because of where I want to be when I get to that fourth quarter. So while it is primarily designed for folks in their fourth quarter, there is sort of a, you know, once you begin to, to take St. Benedict seriously and to begin to reflect on your life and your own death for a minute each day, you begin to think about how do I want these things to end? And as we wrap up, I mean, look at that was scintillating. And, you know, you said we could talk for more hours. We, we could do a second show based on all your information here, but we don't have time for that right now. So if you don't mind, we'd really love to ask you to pray us out and pray for our, 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 uh, our listeners and, you know, pray for all of us, if you would. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Almighty God, you are indeed love, and you love us more than we will ever be able to know on this side of the river. Help us to become holy in love, O Lord. Help us to love ourselves, to love you, and to love the people around us as generously and as fully as we possibly can, that we might be more than ready when our time comes to enter into your presence. Come Holy Spirit, bless the quest, bless the family room, bless each listener with the mercy and grace of your divine love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Beautiful. Thank you, Dr. Alan Hunt, for being here with us in the family room today. And thank you, dear listeners, for being with us as well. Please tune in and listen to us again next week here in the family room where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families. Thanks for hanging out with us in the family room. Sponsored by Versprite. For more info, go to thequestatlanta.com.